Before we get started, I want to share something very exciting that I have been working on and I would love to invite you to. Here at Mamas in Training, my goal is to create community. As a mama in training myself, I have learned that in order to get through this motherhood thing, community is key. So I have decided to create just that. Mamas in Training Premium will be launching at the end of the summer. This will be a monthly membership where you will get on-air shoutouts, ask me anything, special opportunities to meet future and former podcast guests, and most importantly, a monthly online Zoom support party with me and the rest of the members, all for the whopping price of $7 a month. Basically, a venti latte at Starbucks. But right now, I have already started our meetings with a small beta group of about 20 ladies, and there are a few slots left. So, if you would like instant community for $7, then what are you waiting for? Go ahead and click the link in the show notes that says premium membership, and I'll see you at the next meeting. Now, on to the show. The Instagram founders even said in the very early days, like, we want this to look like Vogue. And they didn't want advertising, but they were okay with advertising as long as it looked like beautiful magazine advertising. And so because they're making their money from advertising, they want to keep it as, like, pretty and sanitized as they can. They actually have no incentive to start showing us the real or raw stuff. So whenever anyone's like, oh, but it's getting better, but Instagram still doesn't have an incentive to make it more honest and more real. They just don't because it's an advertising platform. So we have to remember that. I think it is getting a little bit better and more women are posting stuff, but I don't know if you're actually going to see a lot of it. Now, I'm sure you've never found yourself in an endless scroll on Instagram or another social platform, which might have resulted in either a charge to your credit card or a feeling of less than, defeated, or even depressed. You've never done that, right? Wrong. We all have, and it can be even more dangerous for women who are emotional roller coasters like those of you who are pregnant or postpartum. Today, we are talking all about the impact of influencers on those in pregnancy and postpartum. I am honored to have on the show today the remarkable Joe Piazza. She is a national and international best-selling author of nine books, a podcast creator of the critically acclaimed series Under the Influence and Committed, an award-winning journalist, and not to mention a mother of two. This chat might just change your perspective a little bit on the influence of influencers. First of all, I have to say, I read How to Be Married, and there were so many things I loved about it, but I wanted to say that the dancing section just (laughs) touched me. My husband and I love to salsa dance, and we haven't in way too long, and it's just really, I think, what's bringing us down. (laughs) Oh, I think a lot of things are bringing us all down. Yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. That makes me me so happy. We actually, we have not salsa danced since then, and so (sighs) it has been six years and I may propose that we try to do it again because yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. been it's been a really long time and I was interviewing Marlo Thomas the other day and she told me that she's been trying to get Phil Donahue to salsa dance for oh my gosh 
40 years now. I'm constantly emailing Marlo and messaging Phil to be like, are you going salsa dancing tonight? Is it happening? Is it happening? Is it happening? <laughs> Is it happening? And he's like, no. Well, my husband's Puerto Rican, so it's Oh, in his that blood. makes it easier. It's in his blood. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Of yeah. Course, of it's course. Total- and it was amazing. Like on our honeymoon, there was this awesome little place that would always play salsa. And we would go every night and people would be like, oh my gosh, are you guys professionals? You look so good. So, Oh my God. It was so nice so to hear. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. got to get we got to get back to it. You guys have to get back to it. Yes, you don't have a choice. For sure. Also do it before you get pregnant. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's that's so true. Get it all in. I mean, we're just like getting to the point where we can like do things again. So Yeah. I'm really really excited about this topic today, but before we get started, I first want to make sure that we mention and we'll mention it at the end too. I'm really looking forward to your upcoming book, We Are Not Like Them. It's coming out in October. And I want to hear how this all started, and I think what's fascinating to me is you started writing it in 2018, right? We did. We did, yeah. And so the fact that you started writing it in 2018, granted, there's been years and years of racial discrimination, but then we went through 2020 with George Floyd, and now you just finished it in 2021. So I feel like just this spectrum of time was so key for this book. And you co-wrote it with Christine Pride, who was your editor on your latest novel, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win. So what inspired this book? Yeah. So Christine, like you said, was my editor on Charlotte Walsh, and she's amazing. We were actually on a book tour for Charlotte Walsh. She came along with me, which shows like what a great editor that she is. And we were driving through the South. And driving through the South, obviously, Christine is a black woman. And we started talking a lot about race and also a lot about how there wasn't any good commercial women's fiction out there about interracial friendships like ours. And we just started playing around with this idea for a book um, as we were going to places like Dollywood and Cracker Barrel, which Christine said, which Christine said, quote, black people don't go to Cracker Barrel, Joe. (laughs) And while I while I listened while I made her listen to things like John Denver. So (laughs) we came up with the premise for this book, as you said, in 2018. And the book involves a police officer shooting an unarmed black teenage boy, a white police officer. And at Mm. that point in 2018, even though we'd seen so many terrible instances of police violence against black men, there was we were actually in a lull of police shootings. And by lull, I mean, there was there about three months there where there wasn't one that was making headlines. Of course, they were happening. Yeah. And so we, we wrote 100 pages of the book and, and we pitched it. And you know, some editors were like, it's timely, but it doesn't seem that timely. And we wrote the book and finished the book and turned it in a week before George Floyd was murdered. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> That's and then we said, oh, shit, we need the book back. <laughs> we took it back right. and not we actually you know we didn't change much and we kept the book set in a pre-George Floyd world because we wanted to be able to lead up to that kind of reckoning mm. but there were there there were just there were some things that did did have to change and the the biggest thing that we continually talked about and grappled with was what happens to the police officer who shoots the young black boy? Because Mm -hmm. for a very long time, officers were never charged with murder. And so we were trying to figure out how to end the book. And so we did edits that summer. And 
actually ended up completely switching publishing houses in the process, even though we had a finished manuscript. And now the book is coming out in October of this year, and we just couldn't couldn't be happier to be publishing with Simon and Schuster and to be putting mm. this book out in the world right now because we think that commercial women's fiction is a way for readers to really you know develop empathy and relate to people that they might not otherwise encounter. And talking about race is fucking hard, man. Oh my god! And um, so we we're hoping that this gives people. A, a language and a way to ask the hard questions without feeling dumb or feeling like they're going to be canceled in this world of cancel culture that we live in. And just that it makes it easier to have conversations about something that we all need to be talking about. And I'm so curious for you and Christine, what was the writing process like for you? Was it pretty easy to work together and put this together or did it bring things up for you? It was hard. It was really hard. And we say that writing a book about race nearly ruined our friendship or not ruined, but ended our friendship because yeah. it is so fraught to have these conversations, even with your very close friends and to try to create something professionally together on top of that, mm -hmm. that we had some hard times. There were a lot of tears. At one point, we considered going to essentially a couple's counselor. We got to the point, a couple points where we said, you know, maybe we don't finish this. Maybe we give all of the money back and then we're just broke. Wow. Uh, but we didn't. We got through it. And getting through it, I think that we're we're definitely better writing partners. Stronger, I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah, we're better friends too. And we just know how to mm -hmm. communicate with each other better. We... We're working on our second book together right now. We're about 50. Oh, exciting. We hit 50 pages today, which felt really good. And yeah, I I love We Are Not Like Them. Every And I, I can't believe we're promoting it this early, but frankly, pre-orders matter so much more than almost yeah. anything in this process of the book. So we're, we're trying to get as many people to pre-order the book as possible right now. For sure. Well, I'm definitely going to be pre-ordering mine, and I think it's such an important topic, and I honor both of you for pushing through the time and, and making something that really, I think, is going to impact a lot of people. And it's nice to hear it through a story. I think kind of having it through a fictional aspect really helps to connect to and understand. So I'm really looking forward to that. Okay, we're kind of, this is going to be a really cool and interesting topic today. It's going to be a little bit different than what I usually do, but I think it's going to be super, super helpful for, for the women, for the aspiring moms and the new moms and, you know, the seasoned moms. So you yourself are a mom of two, along with all your other accolades. And Time Magazine also has recently named you and your podcast, which is called Under the Influence, or one of them, it's called Under the Influence, to be one of the best podcasts of 2021 so far, which congratulations, that is so exciting. I also have to say your editing and sound elements are just mind-blowing. <laughs> Thank you. It's, I, uh, all my, uh, it's all my producer, Emily Marinoff. She is holy a moly. rock star. Yeah. I, I reached out to Kevin, our mutual connection, and I said, oh my gosh, <laughs> I've been listening to Under the Influence and I don't know how she does this. So yeah, it's amazing. So Under the Influence is a little bit of a different podcast because it looks at the industry of mom influencers on social media the good, the bad, the ugly, which is a 10 billion, probably even more dollar industry. And you really took an opportunity to dive deep into how this industry works. So I'm curious, first of all, how have you as Joe and as a mom, have you been sold on this endless scroll 
that we tend to be on as women and as mothers. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I when I was breastfeeding my first baby and when she didn't sleep at all for the first two months of her or actually my second baby, B is the girl. See, I have two children. I like I mix them up all the time. So <laughs> yeah, when, one of them. <laughs> one of those children. When B was first born, she really didn't sleep for the, the first two mm. months. And Unless she was attached to my boob. So, and I was sitting up and she was attached to me. And the only thing, the only appendage that I could use was my thumb. So all I could do was scroll through my phone and I would just scroll and scroll for hours and hours. And once Instagram realizes what you're looking at, they just serve you more and more of it. And so, of course, I was looking at pictures of moms and babies because I had a baby attached to my nipple. And then that's all I was being served. And would scroll through all of these pictures of perfect looking moms with their perfect looking kids and the set and you know there I am covered in puke and pee and breast milk and my husband snoring next to me and I I was I was pretty down it was rough and these women made motherhood look so goddamn easy and it was very easy to buy the things that they were showing in their pictures that seemed like they made life easier like these inflatable like bath things and a pacifier that they claimed would make your baby stop screaming in the middle of the night Mm. and so I did I started buying stuff and I was so groggy that I kind of compare staying up all night with a newborn to being blackout drunk and uh (laughs) I would just the days later things would arrive and I wouldn't even remember ordering them that actually (laughs) there's one of my friends he's actually a guy but he would actually get drunk and order things off Amazon and then he'd get packages and be like oh who ordered this (laughs) So I, uh, I I can understand how that might happen, especially when you're getting minimal sleep, you're filled with anxiety, and your body and mind is just exhausted. So you really started this podcast, as I read, you said to expose the dark world of moms to grammars. But what did you actually find? Did you find this million-dollar industry with well-coiffed children and, you know, spotless homes? Or what did you end up discovering? Well... I started under the influence of the podcast as kind of an expose. I was like, I am going to unmask these bitches (laughs) and started doing reporting. And what I realized very quickly was that these women were working their asses off. It's not like anyone was trying to pull the wool over our eyes, but that these women were out of necessity because they have started doing this as a job. And I did not take this seriously as a job when I started reporting the podcast. They are creating editorial, editorial just like the magazines that I used to make when I was a magazine editor, mm. and they're staging photo shoots to deliver what they need to deliver to have brands work with them and then pay them. And that is not how the average consumer of Instagram thinks about Instagram when they're just scrolling through it, because we're right. scrolling through it and we see these images that are essentially magazine advertorials right next to pictures of our best friends or our sisters or our weird cousin Jake. And (laughs) so we assume that these other women, they're just like those people, but they're not. They're creating these mini magazines or mini television shows. And I I don't know, I shouldn't even use the word money. They're creating media empires and they're creating content for brands to, as a conduit for brands to sell us things. And the more I talked to these women, the more I realized a lot of them were just like me. A lot of them were former magazine editors or former marketing executives that when they tried 
to stay in their full-time magazine or marketing jobs after having children, it was really hard because the corporate world simply doesn't respect mothers. And Mm -hmm. so I developed a tremendous respect for these women uh, and for what they're doing and for just how much labor goes into creating the content on, on their Instagram feeds. But I also realized that it's all... I don't want to say fake because that makes it seem like someone is trying to pull the wool over your eyes, but it is all staged. And so once you realize that so much of this is staged and that all of like, this is, this is just an advertisement, then I think that you stop feeling badly looking at everyone else's life on the internet. Well, one thing I was interested in as I was diving more into this is how is this really any different than... Vogue, Cosmo, L, you know, it's just a different angle. Would you agree or no? 100%. It's just magazine. Yeah. I, and I haven't picked up a Vogue, Cosmo, or L in a couple of years. A hard copy of right. it. And but how many times have you picked up your phone? I right? pick up my phone every 20 minutes. So exactly. like, this is... This is where the eyeballs are now, and these women are creating magazines, and they're they're each essentially the editor of their own little Vogue. The interesting thing that we're getting into in the second season is then who makes a lot of money. These women do make money, and some of them some of them make insane, stupid money, like crazy fucking money. But most <laughs> of them are just getting by. But the tech company founders they're making a lot of money, and the shareholders and the VC guys. They're making a lot of money. While it's these women who are making the content that powers their sites. It's right. as if Condé Nast had said to Anna Wintour and Cindy Levy and all of the editors that were working there you know, when I was in magazines, hey, you're going to work for free. And you can make money if there's advertise, if I like off the advertisers, but like you're just going to do your daily work for free. And I think we need to to really shine the spotlight on that about yeah it's nice that moms can make this kind of money but it's still the fucking men at the top who are making all of the money for doing yeah for frankly doing much less work well and at the same time they we call them quote-unquote influencers but they have many titles. They have, you know, costume designers, photographers, set designers, you know, child wranglers. I mean, the things that they're doing, editors, and, and the things that they're doing are just, their titles are endless, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, they're doing it all. They're running, it's not just a magazine, it's a media company. And, you know, they're creating entire briefs for the brands, like, you know, creative briefs before they create this content. They are, they're, they're, doing you know as most women do 15 different jobs at once and you know barely being paid for one of those jobs it's a cool experience to hear and and another side of it to hear because i think for whatever reason it's gotten such a bad rap and i'm all for like real on social platforms you know i'm all for people being pulling back the curtains being vulnerable and being open um and not necessarily showing that things are picture perfect, but I think it's a really a cool, you know, mindset shift to think of this from their point of view and from the other side of it. I'd love for you to explain, I heard you describe this in one of your podcast episodes on Under the Influence. You had your own 
experience of trying and maybe failing at being an influencer. (laughs) Can you share your experience in that? Oh, yeah. I decided to try to become a mom influencer. I was like, fuck it. Maybe I can do this. It looks so easy. That was before I realized how much work went into it. And the truth is, this is a spoiler, but it won't it won't ruin the podcast for you. I'm terrible at being an influencer. I don't have what it takes, even though I've been a journalist and I've been in really high positions in magazines for years. I don't have what it takes creatively to craft this perfect aspirational life. And nor do my children want to be a part of it. We hired a professional photographer to shoot. This is one of the secrets we learned about Instagram influencers. They, what looks like we just take Instagrams in the moment on our phone, but they will hire a professional photographer to come to their house and, or meet them outside and shoot an entire month of content or a week of content Mm. in a single day. In a few hours, they'll change outfits, they'll change settings. And so I hired someone trying to just do a week of content and my kids gave up after a day of content. They were like, we don't want any of this. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a complete disaster. Everyone ended up crying. <laughs> well, I think it's really cool that you gave it a gave it a shot too. And once again, like I just said, we don't necessarily expect that a whole month, a whole week of content could be shot in a few hours or in a couple days. And they're very easily posting up all of these photos while they're currently in their PJs and their house is a mess, but they probably had it cleaned just for that week or that day. So what do you think this influencer world and and change that we've experienced in the past five, 10 years, how do you think it impacts pregnant women and, and postpartum mothers? Or did it impact you at all? And how do you think it impacts them? I think it did impact me a little bit when I was pregnant, especially with my first child, you know, and it's not just influencers, but it's culture and media in general that has fed women this myth that you must love pregnancy, that pregnancy Mm -hmm. is this beautiful, glowy, amazing time. And maybe for some women it is, but I don't know those women. You know, I actually sat down to lunch with a friend the other day who had a baby six months ago and she is thinking about having another one. She's like, I just don't want to be pregnant again. It sucks. And I'm like, I know it sucks. It's like the worst. It's gross. And no one uses that kind of language around pregnancy and particularly not on social media where you're just seeing like shiny bellies, sometimes covered in flowers, like in a bath and, you know, women all like glowy and happy. And yeah, I think it's very important. So, so now I'm like painfully honest to talk about the fact that a lot of women don't enjoy being pregnant and you can be a good mother and not enjoy being pregnant, but being pregnant's the worst. I, you know, you, you just, you're big and hot and there's hemorrhoids (laughs) and your body does weird stuff. And then you're anxious all the time because you're like, oh my gosh, I, I could be doing anything at any point that could impact my baby. So there's, I think for a lot of us, there's nothing pleasant about those 10 months of being pregnant. And it is 10 months. But if you look at social media and search pregnancy, you just see like so much like just joy that I and I think it's a false joy. And it's also fair to like try to convince yourself that you're enjoying it as a way of coping, like a coping mechanism. But we don't see enough of women sitting there being completely miserable, which frankly is a lot of the real life experience of being pregnant. 
I also heard recently that Instagram, only the past few months, I think, allowed certain photos to be shown. They were protecting certain birth photos and this and that. And so a lot of mother Instagram creators who were trying to show this more real and raw side were actually, you know, being prevented by the platform. So it's interesting that maybe we're at the brink of starting to transform a little bit. But I I noticed that recently that I'm seeing a lot more of the real and raw. And I hope that that continues. We're seeing a lot more of it. I mean, and it exists. It's not that it doesn't exist, but Instagram as a company just doesn't really Mm -hmm. benefit from showing us the real and the raw. And we have to remember that like, even though it's individual women making the content, it's Instagram that really chooses what to serve people and what people oh, 100%. see. And the Instagram founders even said in the very early days, like, we want this to look like Vogue. And we, they didn't want advertising, but they were okay with advertising as long as it looked like beautiful magazine advertising. And so because they're making their money from advertising, they want to keep it as like pretty and sanitized as they can. They <laughs> actually have no incentive to start showing us the real or raw stuff. So whenever anyone's like, oh, but it's getting better. But Instagram still doesn't have an incentive to make it more honest and more real. They just don't because it's an advertising platform. So we have to remember that. I think it is getting a little bit better and more women are posting stuff, but I don't know if you're actually going to see a lot of it. Do you think that there's a little bit deep down inside of us just as humans I mean, even when you think back to the 40s, you know, it's kind of what we gravitate toward is unfortunately that image of perfection and that image of having it all together. It's like it's a bad car accident, you know, like we don't want to see it. But I think we've been sold that is the thing. I think that women have been sold an idea that we do have to be beautiful and put together and be a little bit of everything to everyone. I think it's a very, very cultural thing. And it's been around since the beginning of time, but certainly since the beginning of women's media and women's magazines. And women, and I don't know this story as well as my colleague and co-guest on Under the Influence Glynis does, because she did a lot of research on this, but women didn't shave their legs until apparently there was a surplus of one company had a surplus of razors and decided to run an advertising campaign, essentially telling women they were disgusting if they had hairy legs because they just had to sell the extra razors. I think it was when the men were at war or something like that. So like, (laughs) you know, it's always been media that's been creating this, this image that women have to be a certain way. And I I'm hoping that we get to challenge that to try to become a way that makes us actually genuinely happy and comfortable as human beings. So when you you decided to start your podcast, it was with your second, right? With your daughter? It was with my second, yeah. And so what what would you say you would maybe recommend that women, pregnant women, women in postpartum maybe do differently than what you did or just in general what would you say that they could do to kind of protect themselves from diving into this pitfall especially during a very vulnerable time my baby actually just woke up i can just hear her right now you know i would i would genuinely say limit your social media use and i try to limit my social media use now 
too. And it's, it's hard. I'm bad at it because the phone has made it addictive and they've made it addictive for a reason. But one of the things we talk about in the podcast is just to kind of, it's something that's taught in AA for alcoholics. And because social media is so addictive, it's a fair comparison. Every time you pick up your phone and open Instagram, think about why, why are you doing this? And also what else could you be doing? And the answer, the why for me is usually just like, oh my God, I didn't even realize I was fucking doing this. Right. So yeah. like, just to try to challenge yourself to just not look at it mindlessly the way that we used to. And then also to be selective. If you don't, if you're not enjoying looking at something, don't follow that person. Like there are things that give me great joy on Instagram. The poet Kate Bear posts a lot of her poems about motherhood on Instagram and they're beautiful and I love reading mm. her stuff. Um, I also love doing deep dives into people's beautiful houses because I'm remodeling my house right now, right? So I'm like, yes, yeah. I, want, Inspiration. I, want, I want that kitchen. But I don't follow anyone who makes me feel bad. So I would say the, the simple advice is one, just think about when you're scrolling and to, because you will inevitably compare yourself too to other pregnant women. One terrible thing that happened during my pregnancy. So I'm like a big pregnant woman when I'm pregnant. Like my belly gets fucking huge and it gets huge <laughs> fast too. So at like four, four or five months, people are like, oh my God, you must be due any day. And I'm like, nope, nope. <laughs> five more months to go. But like I would look, you know, with women post like a bump pick, pick every month and I would look at other women's bumps and actually compare my bump to their bump. And I'm like, right. what's wrong with my bump? And that kind of stuff is super toxic. So just recognizing that that's happening and also trying to connect with other mothers in real life instead of online. Uh, you know, I made a lot of friends in my like prenatal yoga class that I'm still friends with to this day and just to try to have more real life interactions because I find so much of the interactions that we have online are becoming more and more toxic and unhelpful mm -hmm. and at the end of the day we choose who to follow we click that follow button you choose yeah. exactly and you know allow like recognize that you are the one with that agency like you're not being forced to follow anyone. So choose who to follow. Choose what makes you happy. Um, and just try not to fall into a rabbit hole of anything that makes you feel bad. Yeah. And let me tell you, I recently went into um, on this wonderful experience of unfollowing and muting. And honestly, I didn't even really ever think of doing it before. Um and I want to encourage women who are listening, too, that it's very possible at different stages in your life, too. You might want to unfollow certain people at certain stages in your life and then start following them again. And then there might be a different type of a person that you want to unfollow maybe when you have a toddler or whatever. Totally. Um, so I think that's that's an important thing, too. It, to a certain extent, it's kind of like self-sabotage that we end up diving into. Well, exactly. And so much of what we do is self-sabotage. So I... I think we just have to, self-care is such a stupid buzzword, but mm -hmm. we do need to take care of ourselves. And it's not a massage and it's not you know, getting a pedicure, even though those things are great. It's protecting ourselves from things that are shitty in our lives, no matter what that might be. Well, I have a great idea for people. So instead of scrolling on Instagram, 
You can plug in your earbuds while you are in those late night feedings and you can listen to Under the Influence and Mamas in Training (laughs) on your podcast app. (laughs) And then you just get positivity and you get to laugh and get filled with joy instead of comparing yourself to others. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Well, I definitely want to encourage everybody to go check out We Are Not Like Them. There'll be a link in the show notes. Get your pre-orders in because I think it's, I mean, all of your books are fascinating, but I really think this has such a really specific intention and especially at this point in our world and in our life. And it's it's so perfect for this time. And I hope that everyone goes and follows you, all of your writing, everything that you do, Joe. I just... It brings me, I mean, I was laughing. There, were, There's one article I was reading um, where you were, you had a couple different things. It was in Cosmo and you said like Beyonce makes you feel like a lazy pregnant person. <laughs> it's like all of the things that you write just bring me a lot of joy. So I highly, highly recommend everybody check out all of your writing and everything that you're doing. Beyonce still makes me feel like a lazy pregnant person, which is why I don't follow Beyonce. <laughs> exactly that's a perfect example don't follow right. her if she doesn't make don't you feel follow good. her if she doesn't make you feel good i love it well joe thank you so much for taking time out of your super super busy schedule i can't wait to connect in the future and i can't wait to get my hands on that book thank you so much this was so much fun if you enjoyed the show today be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave a review on apple podcasts so i know how to better serve you I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at mamasintraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together. <laughs>